Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. I can't begin to share how highly I feel about Steve Mackey. One of the best bass players in the world. I mean, just ask Peter Frampton, Garth Brooks, Dolly Parton, Joe Bonamassa. I mean, this could go on forever. He's also one of the best guys in the world. Just ask, well, me. Steve came out to Disgraceland, and we shared a couple of hours of conversation and a couple of Heinekens, my first in a couple of years. There's hardly a Saturday afternoon I've enjoyed more. Reconnecting with a former neighbor like Steve was just a joy. I hope you laugh as much as I did. I love this guy. He's my friend, Steve Mackey. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, man. I'm happy to be here. It's so good to see you, man. I don't even know. The last time we bumped into each other was like at 3rd Lindsay or something, and I think it surprised us both so much because we hadn't seen each other in forever. Yes, it was was at a gig. I remember I remember when that happened. But you know, before that we hadn't seen each other really. We hadn't worked that much since we moved out of here, right? No. Because we were neighbors. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also, I don't know if you remember, I was coming home from writing one day and I pull around the corner up here and I see you and your wife walking and I stop and I roll the window down and you go what are you doing in this street? And I go, (laughs) me, what are you doing on this street? And you pointed up the road and you go, well, I live right there. And I pointed up the road and I go, I live right there. And it's like, holy crap, man. And I I felt so embarrassed because it's like, man, we could have been playing cards and doing who knows what. I know. And then it was like, okay, I'll see you at the session. (laughs) I'll see you Tuesday. (laughs) I just, I... I still just hate that because it's like, oh, we could have had so much fun out here, man. Well, but, it's easy. It's so nice out here just to sit on your back porch by yourself and, you know, enjoy the clean air. Dude, just take a guitar and a cup of coffee out there and half the time I yeah, fall asleep. Yeah. And- Plus, when we <laughs> lived across the street, we had little kids. We had toddlers. So, yeah. you know, like, imagine how much fun you could have had if I would brought them over. <laughs> <laughs> And then stayed at my house. Right. <laughs> I would be going, don't touch that. Don't touch that. Right. Don't touch that. Your dad will be back in a couple hours. That's right. With his checkbook. <laughs> because you touched that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you're from West Virginia, correct? Yes. Are you from a musical family? I am from a musical family. Um, Seriously? Yeah, the, yeah. I swear to God, of the hundred and however many shows we've done, you're like the first one that's really? actually from a musical well, family. you know, it's not like we had a family band, thank God. Right. But, <laughs> but um, my, mom, my mom played piano and organ in church. Okay. Um, and and at, at one point, she was a really great musician, but totally square and... Like you know, quote unquote, legit, right? For, for lack of a better yeah. term, um, she could sight read the right hand, left hand, and pedals. Oh man! But if she didn't have sheet music, she she didn't play. She didn't know what to play. Not an improviser. No, not at all. Not at all. You know, and we so we grew up with you know a piano in the house all the time. My dad was a uh, a musician when he was a kid. Okay. And then, you know, and then left it after that. But there was always music around. Well, how did you decide to play bass then? B- by default, like so many people. Okay. Because I was the, I, I taught myself how to play acoustic guitar. <laughs> okay. So I was the carrier, you know, carrier guitar case around yeah. guy. And um, when they needed a bass player at school, I was picked out as the guitar player, and oh uh, well, then of course you can play bass. So you're the now you're the bass player. Well, so then after you really got into it, who were your heroes as bass players? Well, I came in, I, I came in kind of backwards because I got turned on to. I had a band director that gave me fusion records because when I started playing uh, bass, 
it was in the high school jazz band. You know, the school owned the bass even. Oh, okay. And so he gave me weather report records, oh, and he man. gave me stuff like that. Yeah. Which was cool. And, and Nothing like shooting a little bit high. Yeah, a little bit, <laughs> you think? <laughs> so on, a, on a Gibson Ripper, <laughs> when I should have been listening to Gene Simmons. Exactly, that's what I was um, just going to say. But instead, you were listening to Jocko. Yes, but... When I started to realize that I had a connection to that particular instrument, hmm. um, the the first thing that I really latched onto was Duck Dunn, the first bass player. Oh man, yeah. And so it all kind of went from there, from Duck Dunn, anything Duck Dunn played on, and Otis Redding records and that kind of stuff. And that's how I learned how to play country music, you know, because a lot of those grooves they're oh, yeah. so kind of southern anyway yeah they're really country bass lines yeah especially doc being from memphis and everything everything yeah, he man, played was I mean, gonna be southern right. a little bit it's very fundamental yeah bass very fundamental bass parts to me stuff like that for a guy like you you're such a freaking world-class player so for you it's it's easy and it's simple but it's hard to play that simple really well does that make sense? Yes, totally. Yeah. It's the whole zen. Right, right, right. You know, walking on rice paper and not leaving <laughs> footprints. <laughs> it's, it's you're like a base cane. <laughs> so this is, this is the, the kung fu right. white bass playing. Man, we are as taught the, by Steve we're hitting Mack. the perfect demographic right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I wish everybody was here with us right now. So, so you went from the school owned Gibson Ripper, yes, playing high school band to Berkeley, yes. What in the crap? It it's it was all kind of by chance. My teacher had gone there. He was about twenty five or twenty six years oh, old. Oh, cool. And when I was sixteen, so he was really cool at the time, and yeah. that was his first job out out of okay. college. He was from the area. He was from Southern Virginia. Okay. And um, was he a bass player? He was a trumpet player. Okay. And and so he told my parents, if there's a way to if there's a way to send him here, this is where he needs to go. Really? We didn't ha- we didn't know about it. I remember getting brochures in the mail, and we were reading about it. And it was this famous place. So was that? Sorry to keep interrupting you. Was That's that all right? Because. He saw something in you that thought, okay, this kid's bigger than West Virginia. <laughs> yeah, well, he yes, he yeah. saw he saw that I was driven to do it. That's probably awesome. more than anybody else. Yeah. By the time I was a senior in high school, I didn't uh, I didn't need any other credits other than English, and so I didn't take any other classes other than English. And you already spoke English. Yeah, and I already spoke English. So sometimes I felt like I didn't even need to go to that class. And he said, well, look, you're not going to be down here hanging around the band room all day. Right. Uh, you're going to do something while you're here. So um, he enrolled me in a Berkeley, in a music theory correspondence course. And, okay. and that's what I did during the day was play bass to records in a giant closet filled with band uniforms and... And did these theory correspondence courses. I didn't, I don't think I really absorbed what I was trying to learn. Yeah. But um, it was an entry, definitely. So did you major in bass or what? I mean, it was, what, a, it was a performance major. Okay. So, you, which just meant you had to pass, which just meant I had to go run scales an hour before I had to play them for somebody and they'd go, okay, cool. And then I'd go, <laughs> do whatever. <laughs> go back to my gig. After a couple years, I wouldn't trade that. You don't need to go to music school. Everybody knows. You guys yeah. know you don't need to go to music school. Yeah. But I wouldn't trade it for anything because it was invaluable sure. for me coming from that place. Coming from a small town and not and and just literally kind of walking out into the world and finding out how things worked. Plus if nothing else, man, you're you're going out there and you're finding a whole school full of people that love yes. music as much as you do. Right. And, and was, where your hometown yeah. is, you're the only guy that loved music that much, except yes. for your trumpet playing teacher. Right. Ah, right. That's so cool. Right. Man. And it was great. And I was, and I immediately fell in with people my own age 
whose parents were musicians, yeah. who's, who's sometimes famous musicians, and who had grown up uh, playing and gigging, and they were already kind of years beyond where I was. But when you were there, did you like seriously envision? Playing bass for a living, absolutely for the rest of your life. You absolutely. really did. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Absolutely. And and um, how did you come to that? That's just such an interesting. Because I mean, I I still don't think of myself as doing that. Well, uh, because because when I got up there, I could see, I could see a pretty clear path for careers playing playing bass. It was no longer I'm in my bedroom at home. Imagining playing, sure. playing, being an artist and playing a concert. Right. As I as I moved into things up there, um, and started to gig and started to get you know whatever play bars or weddings or I had this great uh, steady gig that was like a dinner cruise that went out in the harbor every oh, night. Oh man! And so the more I did that, the more I envisioned it as oh yeah, this is a job. Yeah. You know, this is, I can do this. And the guys that I admired were like Will Lee, yeah. who, who, um, still admire. Yes. And who <laughs> yeah. maybe wasn't, although he's been on the cover of lots of magazines, he wouldn't be there as a, the, in the same way that Bootsy Collins would be on a magazine. Right. Will Lee was a guy you could throw into any situation with yeah, yeah, any yeah. kind of music, yep. and he's going to kill it. Yeah. Any live situation, any session, any session, anything, yeah. just, just anything. And yeah. so that's kind of, that was always the bar that I set for myself. That's interesting. So then how, from Berkeley, how did you get, and when did you come to Nashville? I came to Nashville in 88. Okay. And Nashville wasn't really, um, it wasn't even an option. And honestly, had I known anybody that was in Nashville at the time when I left high school, yeah, I would have just come here. Straight here. Yes. Okay. I didn't have, like like our friend, we miss you, JT, Cornfloss. Mm, amen. Um, he, he told me stories about just coming here when he was 17 years old. Right. Um, and I absolutely would have done that. I might have considered going to Belmont if if anybody had told me about that but that's what I did you went to Belmont yeah so you had people in when you were before you left home you had people that were familiar with it yep, yep. yeah 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 and I, I didn't even <clears throat> we didn't even really consider uh, I don't Nashville. know that it, I don't know that it helped You're, right? I mean I would <laughs> yeah. no I'm, I, I, I think it's it's wonderful but there was there was two reactions to going to Belmont. Either they thought you were overqualified and you shouldn't be here, right? Or they thought, oh, you think you're overqualified and you shouldn't be here, sure. And so, I, which I assume was kind of like a Berkeley right. reaction. Yes, yeah, same, same. Yeah. So I mean, but I mean, I mean, like he's like he just said. But, I, I'm so glad I went there though. But yeah, yeah because sure. because you do with with somewhere especially <clears throat> like Belmont that's right at the head of oh, music road absolutely you learn pretty quickly uh the real world kind of yeah survivor type yeah you know and you also need- you're you're in on every writer's night yeah and you know what and hey we need somebody to make coffee at the studio do right. you want to need a job it's right. an it's all there. yeah so yeah. and berkeley was the same way berkeley was there was this click and this click and these guys got all these gigs right and you learn how to maneuver and by the time i came down here i already knew basically how it was going to work what i needed to do to get a gig but but i i i got a gig up there that and the management was based out of Nashville. okay and so that's what brought me here and then so, i just started gigging you know then the 3 months later i didn't have any money and just had to start gigging <laughs> <laughs> and it was really starting over i mean i moved here I had a salary gig. I was on a bus. It was literally my first gig ever. Who was that with? It was with the Rascals reunion. Wow. It was Felix Cavallari. They had they had hadn't they hadn't played together since like seventy two. And um Dang. And Felix was in Connecticut, which through uh different mutual friends they they brought him to Berkeley to speak. Okay, but his but he was thinking about moving here. Like he was in the some of the first wave of people to move down. Yeah, here. 
So I wound up coming down here and doing that gig and just didn't leave. And thank God I did. I love it. I love it here. So when you were in Berkeley, and sorry to keep going back to that. That's all right. Do you, are you reading music? Are you doing the Nashville numbers? No, I'm reading music all the time. Okay, so then when you got to town, were you then introduced to the number system? Yes, I'd never seen a number chart before. And um, did that just blow you away? Because it blew me away the first time I was me out yeah. completely. Because when I moved here, I could really read. Man, I could read flypaper when I <laughs> when I when I moved here, and and I had been in town. I had been in town about two months when we came off the road, and Felix called me and said, "We got a session. We're doing a record on this girl from New York. Come do this session." And I thought, "Man, I'm in." Right. I'm in. I'm 20 years old. I'm 21 years old. This is it. I'll be there 30 seconds before the downbeat, Jack. <laughs> and, I, and I walked into Chelsea Studio in Brentwood, and uh, I can't remember who the band was, but I, but I remember that John Hammond was playing drums okay. and Gary Burnett was playing guitar. Dang. And uh, they put a number chart in front of me, and I flipped out. And I'm just, I'm so panicked in my mind. So you've never seen? I'd never seen a number chart. Okay. And then the guy wanted me, wanted to ask if I had a five string, which I didn't. Right. And so he said, well, can you just tune one (laughs) string down? And which I'd never done. (laughs) So you got a bass in drop D. Right. (laughs) And I'm looking at a number chart. And I, you know. I've been there. I understand. That's all. I don't Ugh. hold anything. I don't. I'm not holding anything personal against anybody. But I watched almost all of those guys through their glass pane yeah. isolation booths. They they watched me kind of kick and squirm and then eventually drown. <laughs> <laughs> I went. I went under. I came back up a couple times and gasped for air, and then I went all the way under. And at lunchtime. Felix came to me and goes, hey, man, that was great. He goes, here's a check. I think we're good. I think we're good for today. And they sent me home. Paid me for the day, which was cool. Wow. But sent me home. And uh, I did not come out of the house, I think, for three months. I, I was, was going to say, did you just? Did yeah, that I was just, just convinced that that's it. I had you? my one shot, and that's it. Man. So anyway, that was my introduction to Nashville recording. I, I, Besides just doing it, doing it, doing it, how did you get over that? It's still there. <laughs> a little bit of it. You know how it is. Yeah. I mean, you you get over it because of... Um, that healthy fear. Yes, but but you ha- you kind of, for me, I had to get over it because I had to go gig and pay right. bills. Yeah. I had to, what else are you going to do? You know? <laughs> you got to keep going. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks when you walk into a room and you go, oh, I know, even though nobody's ever seen me before, they probably all have heard about me. And but how you also I'm- knew in your heart of hearts that you were really a really good player, right? Well, so you I just kn- wanted an opportunity to prove it. Kind yes. Of. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that I could do it. Yeah. I knew that I could do it. And, and you know what? I'll tell you this, and I'm not going to, let's, let's get into the real because we're thinking and we're drinking. Okay. Yes, we are right here, right now. So God, God love him, I own. But Felix Cavallari, yeah. after that session, he, we had a gig, uh, in Salt Lake City and it was just a solo Felix gig. And I'm, you know, 21 years old. And he calls me in his trailer and to let me know that he's replaced me. Right. With Willie Weeks. Who's not bad. Right. <laughs> and, which I was thrilled about. I was trying yeah. to figure out a way yeah. to meet Willie Weeks. I cared nothing about being replaced at this point. Can I meet him? Yeah. Awesome. But but he said throughout that conversation, one thing that he said to me, he goes, hey, man, you know, not everybody's cut out to do this. Yeah. And my instant reaction to that in any situation for my whole life was, oh, yeah, well, watch this. Really? Yes. I mean, always. Yeah. So even him telling me, yeah. hey, maybe you're, not everybody's meant to do this. Maybe you're not cut out for it. He meant studio. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Or what, or yeah, he specifically meant studio. Yeah. But, but, and so my instant feeling was just spite. Oh, I'll do it out of spite now. Man. So when you go in, Wallflowers, Garth Brooks, Dolly Parton, whoever, 
Peter Frampton. You know there's, I mean, obviously you're on the road with Peter, so you are the road guy. But when you have these other bands and you're going in and you know they have a road bass player. Yeah. But you're playing the parts that that guy's going to play. I mean, do you, I don't know even know how I'm, how, how I'm, how to say this, but do you look at it differently because you're the studio guy? Because you're such a road professional also. Yes. No, I don't look at it. I mean, as far as creating parts, I don't look yeah. at it differently. Okay, okay. I don't look okay. at it differently. And I have come to really <clears throat> appreciate the guys that do – everybody does everything now. Right. But, I mean, we all love Lee Sklar. He always did. Oh, yeah. He always did both. Right. There were always guys that did both. And and uh, and I never really – I never really, uh, until ten years ago, j- just did the studio thing. And even then, I've always had some some kind of live gig. Yeah, I just got really fortunate and had situations where I could go in and record. What do you like most? I mean, I know it's two totally different things. I love recording. You do? Yeah, I really do. Plus, you get to go home and have dinner with your family at night. Yeah, which is kind of nice. I still love just the <laughs> art of playing songs. Yeah, and yeah. and. And it's I've learned stuff. It's like I draw a new. I feel like I draw a new baseline every three or four years, and go, oh, a window opens up, and you go, oh, here's how you play a song. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Constantly. Is that just with the songs, or is that with your own playing? I think it's a combination. Wow, it's a fascinating thing, man. When you get into Dude, it, coming from a little town in Nebraska. I still am just fascinated. I think I've got eight or nine hundred demos done now, and I'm still. I I long for the old days, where we would go in three hours, work tapes, and we'd come out with six songs, right? Because the band knew each other. They knew me. They knew what I wanted. The guy was going for a Les Paul when he needs to go for a Les Paul, and he's plugging yes. into a Marshall, and we're just hopping, man. And yeah. it, it was just just watching you guys play was just it just blew me away. I was just, I can't imagine your your imagination of how do I not make this song sound like the three songs that I played this morning or yesterday or two days ago. And that was always just that just blew me away, man. Yeah. And th- that was a great time for me when when we were doing all oh, those gosh. demos. So much um, fun. Those were one of the. Uh, that was probably one of the first things that made me a familiar face to a lot of people. Yeah. And um, except your neighbors. Except my neighbors. <laughs> 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 you know, even on the session when I'd have to remind somebody, "Hey, I live right across the street." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, I, I still am just, and sometimes whoever the leader was might just, you know, come in and he'd had a handful of double gray hands last night. <laughs> right. Whoever that might yeah, be. Yeah. And I think you know who that is. <laughs> and we'd get through the first verse and half a chorus and you go, all right, all right let's, let's go out and run one, you know, and it's, it's not like freaking Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. And you get out there and you guys would Kill it's it. amazing, man. It's unbelievable. It's and, crazy to watch. And then two or three guys might go, hey, I need... This is the other thing I couldn't ever believe was you would say, okay, coming out of that second chorus, I need to fix that. How do you remember that? Right. Keyboard player goes, going into the bridge, I need to fix that. How do you remember that? <clears throat> I just, I could never figure that yeah. out. You guys are just unbelievable it's to me. It's just, a, you know, it's language like anything else. Yeah. It's like you... Same, same, right, right, right in the verse, and you want to go, oh, yeah, we'll go back to that second verse and change that. Yeah, but I have all day to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so did you feel, um, just being who you are and so well-respected and, and such a great player, did you feel, did you feel uh, comfortable commenting on parts and production and stuff like that. I mean, I know in a in a demo session, man, it's it's bam, yeah. bam, bam. But if you're playing on a record, 
Do you guys always feel comfortable telling I Dan think, Huff, hey, we need to do this instead of that? Or yes. whoever. Well, I don't, I don't hesitate. I don't think I would hesitate because it would be somebody, but I think some guys naturally gravitate towards that thing. Yeah. Towards that kind of thing anyway. Um, I find myself doing that more when I'm in super comfortable situations with, right. with my friends. Yeah. Um, I just did a, we just did a really cool session last week for uh, some solo stuff for Sean Fichter. Oh, cool. Who's a great session drummer. Yeah. I've been here for years. Sweet home. And I found myself uh, in that session suggesting things and having, re- having you know, ideas and, uh, and not hesitating to do them just naturally, just because I was involved in the process. Yeah. When I'm in the room with all the guys we know, there's usually two or three other guys who are dead on it anyway. And they're going to say what you're thinking. Yeah. And everybody yeah. usually has the complete opposite reaction to whatever else. <laughs> they say, hey, you want to do a B3 stop there? And I go, yeah, it'd be a great idea. And somebody inevitably goes, nah, man, please, not another one of those. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> so uh, I don't yeah. step out too much, right? <laughs> no, that's just I, I think that's always so interesting because I mean I remember uh, Tom Bukovac saying, and I I learned this early on. He said Monday and Tuesday, those are the days to catch me. And I go, why? He goes, because by Thursday and Friday. I'm just trying not to play the same solo I played on Monday yeah, right. and Tuesday. And so I always did sessions on Mondays and Tuesdays. And I just felt like everybody was just this much more fresh. And that's a good point. You know, and just and having our relationships, it's like, well, I don't know. What do you guys think we ought to <clears throat> right. do here? You know, and and I always really love that that back and forth. Cause you know, I mean, DePiro used to play or he still does, plays acoustic, and he goes, yeah, I'm the best in my price range. <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> but I always thought, I I hire you because you're better than me. <laughs> I hire that guy because he's better than me. So why would I not listen to your ideas? You know, and, and I don't know. I always thought that was awesome. Did you, uh, are you still capable of faking it in the studio and, and acting like you like a song, or do you just play uh, it? Not as much as I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not like I used to. I had a song that I saw, and I'll tell you who this is okay. afterwards, bass player. All right. I saw him roll his eyes and just start shaking his head, and I thought, you know what? We're not paying you to like this song. We're just right. playing you to play on this you, song. Yes. And not being a cocky no, jerk about it. it, but I get it. And then we started going through the song and I could hear this boing boing boing. I thought, what the crap is that? And it was awesome. And I looked around and he had grabbed his pencil off the music stand and he was hitting the string with the metal part of the pencil that (laughs) held their eraser yeah and then he would put it back up there and then he would go back to playing and then he'd grab it and play it and i thought okay perfect example he obviously hates this song (laughs) but he still is writing this brilliant part to this that made sure you know he's still creatively involved absolutely because it's in because we need to do that yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, I totally get that. I, you know, I had a situation even just a couple nights ago, um, where where uh, the, uh, the we did a take. The producer came out and immediately was saying, "This has got to be way more busy. This is, you know, it's a real McCartney thing, and so we just want you to play all over this." And the artist has followed him from the control room and it's literally over the guy's shoulder saying, man, this is the first verse. You can't play all the way through this first verse. Mm. These are what, there are words in this song. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And I'm, and I'm doing my best to just smile and go, yeah, okay, cool. All right. We're all good. But I got to admit when they went back behind the control room door and there wasn't a window, 
I was kind of hanging my head a little bit because that was tough. But yeah, the end game is that we played it three more times, and in th- three more instances of you know direction, that kind of direction. Right. By the fourth take, I had shaved down a, a good part for the song, and they were everybody was happy, and that was good. But but during the process. I was hanging my head and definitely rolling my eyes a little bit. Hmm. But I mean, never, it was never in a like, oh my God, get me out of here kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just frustration with people not knowing how to describe what they want yet. Yeah. And that's part of our job too. Yeah. You know, is to interpret that stuff. And that's just like when you guys, as (laughs) songwriters, (laughs) when you guys as songwriters come out and go, I don't know, something's just not right. And you're miming a bass. Part. <laughs> I told, we we got to be able to go. Is it me? Right. <laughs> is, I, I told Amy that last night. I go. There's a certain songwriter that I wrote, used to write with a lot. That goes. You know, I don't, I don't like what you're doing, but I don't have anything better. <laughs> yeah. And it's so it's that kind of stuff. Yeah. You get an artist or a producer going. I don't like what you're doing, right. but I don't know what to tell you what to do. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I had one. I had one. And and uh, I'm upstairs, and the songwriter slash producer of the session is downstairs, and said, "This is really you're going to shine in this song. This is yours, <laughs> so just really do it like no pressure, right?" And I go all the way all the way down, and then the we end the song, and then I just hear about three seconds of silence, and well, I just didn't like any of that. <laughs> You're going. And we've done this long enough that now you can just laugh yeah. about it and go, okay, well, then I'll slap all the way through your song. Right, exactly. <laughs> we'll go back to the Bootsy. And then I'm going to go to Jocko. And then right. I'm going to grab the Gibson Ripper and I'm going to go Jane. <laughs> so do you... Is it your turn to shine on a session or are you just... You're, you're working for the song, correct? Yeah, man, I always feel like that. Yeah. I'm I'm always I'm that's just my personality. I'm like worker B yeah. kinda. I will find um I can find spots every sure. now and then to step out. But again, that's uh, some guys have that strength and it's awesome. Yeah. My strength I feel like is more in just digging a trench. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not really, nobody's usually freaking out about any bass parts that I'm playing. But they may call back in three weeks and go, hey, man, we're mixing this song. Just want to let you know you sound great. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a job well done. So you kind of almost don't want people to go, oh, that's Steve Mackey right there. I I can tell that. You almost don't even want that. Yes. Because you just, yeah. So what is. Like when you're playing, and I don't even know a good example of a, of a, a band that has a road band, and you're in there. I mean, is it your tone? Is it your pocket? Is it is it uh, money that no they they know you're going to get three songs in a day or two songs in a day? I mean, why would somebody use you instead of maybe their road bass player? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And it's it's probably a, a combination of all that stuff. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it is um uh I think a lot of it is that they're under budgets. Yeah. They're in, they they know they've got to they We're not making gotta, million dollar records anymore. Yeah, and people are trying to make records in a day or two. Yeah. And and they know they've got to get the job done. So they so they'll do that. And and another thing is, um, even though I'm always open, I mean it's part of our job to be open to direction. Yeah. But I'm not really going to ask too much about what to play. Sure. And so, therefore, somebody that hires me is not going to have to spend a lot of energy telling me what to play. And yeah, and you've I, also played a million sessions, so you pretty much know where they're going. Yeah. And it. For three words of direction, you know where they sure what they want. sure, yeah. and you know what, and they can also only only with a only with a, a couple things said, they can keep me from being too stale or 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 being too predictable. Yeah, you know, because that's possible too when you do it all day long every day. Yeah, 
you know, you've seen that a bunch. How do you, yeah. how do you keep guys sounding fresh and how do you keep yeah. them excited? And it's hard. <laughs> it, it is hard. <laughs> it is hard, but, you, but usually the vibe is so good on sessions. I mean, everybody's joking around. Dude, and, it's just fun. You man. know, unless you've, unless you're on the 15th song of the day at, yeah. at eight, 45 <laughs> <laughs> or you're on the <laughs> or if it's 15th song at 8 45 in the morning it's like, <laughs> right, what the crap right, dude right. no that that's i mean you know i remember eddie van halen said that you play music you yeah. don't work music yeah right and it's fun man even if yes. and even if song number three sucks song number four is probably gonna be pretty good yeah so i mean it's all it. craft there's you you go in and out of for for me I go in and out of being inspired and using uh, and applying my craft. Yeah. You know, and that's what it is. That's what it is. Sometimes you're just digging ditches. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, that's another thing that DePiro said. Hey, man, whole world needs a ditch digger. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. That's what we're doing. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So everybody needs a bass player. (laughs) Everybody. (laughs) Even the ditch digger needs a bass player. So can you tell me about the the Peter Frampton hookup? Yeah, the Peter Frampton thing was awesome because he literally was the guy that that opened my mind when I was ten years old. To, <sighs> this is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, was liter- it Frampton comes alive? Literally. Yeah. Well, kind of. And okay. I'll tell you, it, it unfolded like that. But but Frampton comes alive. So I'm ten years old. Frampton comes alive is out. <sighs> Um, I went to a friend's house and he had it, you know, folded. It had the album folded out and yeah. hung on the wall. <laughs> so uh, my mom took me to the store to buy that record. They were sold out, of course. Yeah. And so I bought the first Frampton solo record. Okay, was it Frampton's Camel? It was. Uh, it was Wind of Change. Okay. Sorry, let me back up though. I bought the one called Frampton that was right before. Okay. It was the current one at the time before yeah. Frampton Comes Alive. So so I went home that night with that Frampton album, which some people had, but not really. Everybody had Frampton Comes Alive. Yeah. Then when I went back to get Frampton Comes Alive again, they didn't still sold out. So I bought another Peter Frampton record. <laughs> and, and I would read all these names. You know how we used to pour over the names on the back of the records. Yeah. And it was Klaus Vorman and Billy Preston and... and um, uh, Rick Wills, who was later in Foreigner, all Foreigner, these names, oh yeah. right? Man. Um, and I then I would go start to buy records. Cause I was like, oh, well, Klaus Vorman, he plays in Peter Frampton's band. Not really, but... Right, right, right. So that's kind of... He was, literally was the window <laughs> for a lot of my musical yeah, influences yeah. back in the day. And so um, I get a phone call in 20... What was that? 2018 in December. Okay. I was uh, backstage getting ready to do, literally getting ready to do a show in about 10 minutes. And the phone rings and, <laughs> and, um, That's awesome, remind man. me when we get off mic, I'm going to tell you the better part of this okay. story. <laughs> and they needed a bass player for New Year's Eve. Okay. And this is in probably in the middle of December. And it was Peter Frampton. And I said, absolutely. It was in town. So it was a one-off thing. It was a one-off. Okay. It was a one-off. And um, real quick, who calls you? Management. Um, I mean, it's obviously not Peter. The manage. The manager. Okay. Because I'm always fascinated by like, how does that stuff happen? Because well, it obviously it, never happened to me. And you know what? It came indirectly through Peter because okay, I had done, uh, I had done. Rob Arthur is his band leader. Okay. I had done a gig with Rob. Free songwriter gig. His songs were awesome, and not the kind of songs that you could write number charts to. So I learned them all. I memorized them all. See the keys player. Yes, right. Okay, been okay. his band leader for years. Okay, yeah. great, great musician. So about a year earlier, a year and a half earlier, I had done a solo gig with him. So they get around to needing a bass player for New Year's Eve. Uh, they were in the studio with Glenn Morf. Who's pretty good session player. legend? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Glenn said to call me. Said uh, to you know suggested to Peter to call me. Peter called Rob, who's his band leader, and Rob said you should call Steve. 
And so he said, well, that's two people in a row that said, just tell him, call him, tell him if he's free, if he wants a gig, he can have it. Yeah. And the New Year's Eve gig. Right. So then how does that turn into a tour? It's, and- we, we, we did uh, New Year's Eve in Nashville. It was incredible to play. And I was so, man, I had like the bat radar on the whole time. And then the last song of the set is Do You Feel... <laughs> And I thought, okay, I've made it. I've successfully made it all the way through the set. (laughs) All bets are off now. And for the next 18 minutes of Do You Feel Like We Do, I was just 10 years old. Like, I can't believe this. You're just waiting for him to say, Bob Man on keyboards. Bob Man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and so then he called and said, uh, that was in January, obviously. And the, the end of January is when they do NAM. Yeah. And he had a couple NAM shows, and he said, "Will you come do NAM?" And then at the NAM, he said, "You know, we're going out this summer in June or July. Yeah, and if you want the gig, you should do it." And I didn't say yes immediately, but because why? I, I'm just well, I don't know, I'm just old. <laughs> I've done so many gigs. You know what I'm? You know how it is. I'm like, okay. Uh, let me go think about this. Let me let me talk to my wife. And, you know, my chiropractor. And then she said I could. <laughs> right. So <laughs> if I mowed the yard before I left. Um, and I just went home and thought about it. And I thought, okay, because he's going out and yeah. I'm going to lose work in town. And then I thought, man, yeah. this, this is my – this is full circle for me. <clears throat> yeah. To, from, from being a kid in my bedroom. Right thinking about this to actually getting a phone call. And I, and I thought, yeah, screw all that. This one is for me. Yeah. I'll lose. There'll be sessions that I'll lose, whatever. We'll, they'll either come back or they won't. So this, this is for me. Him or Jeff Lynn or David Gilmore. Those are about the only right. guys I'm leaving town for. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so <clears throat> that was, you played Ascend, right? And it was, uh, yes. uh, oh, dang it. Dan. The drummer. Well, Jahowski. Yes. Yeah. But I remember Amy and I were there. George Briner from Valerie Records oh, wow. called me at the last minute and said, wow. I can't be at the show. Here's two tickets. And of course we went. And we're watching that. And it's like, I know Did you know guy. I was playing with no, him? No, not oh, a that's clue. Awesome. And your hair had grown out and everything. It's yeah. like, it took me like four songs. And I finally went, <laughs> yeah. I think I know that guy. But, you know, his whole thing with his... Disease and everything yeah. is he, and he's done so many interviews, and he's so brilliant about his approach to this and everything, and that he wanted to, you know, go out on top. Right. And on the way home, Amy, my wife, goes, "Could you tell that he wasn't playing his best?" I said, "No, I couldn't tell because." He lives every freaking day with his guitar. I hear him yes. once every 10 years, five years, two years, right. whatever. I said, as far as I'm concerned, he's still flat out smoking. And I talked to Gordon Kennedy about him. Mm-hmm. And Gordon said, dude, that guy's one of the best guitar players in the world. Yeah, he really he is. He said he does a solo every night. It has a beginning, and then he'll go who knows where. It's got a middle and then he goes, right. who knows where? Then he's got an end. And he goes, those two places in the middle, he goes, it's different every night. It's different every single night. I stood right next to him and saw it every night. And I would watch him. <laughs> I would watch him so walk awesome, out on man. a limb and slip. Yeah. Not knowing where it was going to go and slip just for a second. And he would just kind of, you just barely see him go, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> right. and, then, <laughs> and then get right back up right. and do it. And I, I had conversations with him about that. Like, how do you, it's just every time you approach this, yeah. you're in this place immediately. You're, you're, uh, you're in the zone immediately. And he said, well, he said, it's kind of a waste of time to not do that. Wow. And I thought, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Plus, if you're a guy that, I mean, going from humble pie and through everything yeah. else, he's probably going like, I've got back then, and then solo stuff, Ramda Comes Live, and then a complete rebirth with Bowie. 
Right. And then another rebirth, solo yes. stuff, he's probably going like, what do you want? The yeah. same stuff you had yeah. back then? No, Pretty I'm interesting go- perspective, man. Oh, man. No I mean, we think no because there wasn't, because we didn't have internet and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he literally was the most famous person on the planet. For, oh, yeah. And he was 25 years old. Yeah. And so what is, what is, and he's what? He's like 70, 70 or 71 now. Yeah. And so having all that perspective. Man. You know, he, I was really impressed with him all the way around. He was yeah. really cool the, the whole time. He had great stories. Oh, my gosh. Sixties stories, and you know, and he when when he came up before Humble Pie and through throughout that whole time, it was all about that approach to playing. Yeah, it he although there were guys, uh, I'm sure there were there were um, examples that you could look at of professional musicians like we have. Like right. I could see Will Lee on Letterman every night, sure being, being that kind of bass player. Yeah. But for a guitar player, he's not going to know who Tommy Tedesco is, right? Or anybody like that. He just knows to go for it every night. It's a different time. I know who Tommy Tedesco is. Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, that's just. Plus, I mean, and I'm not making excuses for anybody, but if you're if you're showing up at the Letterman gig, I got to be there at four thirty. Right. Sound checks at five. The show's going, I mean, that's totally different than, as you very well know, moving your whole life down the road yeah. every night. Yes. And I mean, I mean, Frampton, man, I think one year he had a hurricane destroy. Oh, no, he lost all his stuff in the flood here in town. Yes. Rebuilt everything, went to Florida, played a gig, hurricane came through, blew all his stuff <laughs> right. away again. Right. And then he just said, screw it, I'm going home. Yeah. But I mean, that's the kind of stuff also that, you know, you, I want to get to you selling your gear because that's fascinating to me. Oh, okay. Right. But, but I'm thinking about him is like, you know, we all have our favorite stuff, mm-hmm. you know, our favorite bass or our favorite guitar. And that stuff gets wiped away in a storm or in a flood and you have to replace it with new favorite stuff. Yes. That also is hard. Because you're not going to the same stuff in the same studio every day. Yeah. So, so what are you selling? Why are you selling stuff? Are you just well? I mean, I mean nothing in particular. I'm, I have been selling things because I I don't have a relationship with them. I don't play them. Right. And I want uh, I want to be able to pick up anything that I pick up. I know what it's going to do for me, and I appreciate it for that. Yeah. I don't, especially after the flood, because I got hit in the flood too. I had Did stuff you really? at Soundcheck, yeah. I didn't know that. And, and um, I'm not attached to anything anymore. I have one bass that I've had since uh, the 90s, and it was made for me by a guy named Vince Canetto. It's a Gibson Ripper. Uh, <laughs> no. Oh, my God. I lost the most beautiful sunburst ripper in the flood. It was a full Danko. Did you really? Yes, it was uh, incredible. But, I'm sorry, man. But the, the, the base that I was able to recover with the help of Vince Canetto and Jeff Sin, Love a couple Jeff. friends of mine. Um, of original, ours, original Sin guitars? And, yes. And um, was, a, was a base that Vince made for me, and they I was on the road doing a gig that weekend with Delbert. Oh, wow. And um, Jeff was going down to help Frampton. And he said, man, I'm going I'm going into this building. Uh, I know that your locker is right there. If I can pull one thing, what do you want? And I told him, crap, see if you can save this base. Wow. And so he took the body. Uh, he took the body and put it in a tub of rice. Yeah. By the time he got to it, it had been underwater for six days. Oh, my God. And so he put the body in a tub of rice, and Vince took the neck. Vince was down there helping, too. Vince took the neck and put C-clamps all along the neck, and it sat on his shelf from April. Was that April or May? Somewhere around there. I think it was April, Until yeah. August. And in August, he called me and said, the, the neck was swollen out beyond the frets. And he said, I don't think this thing is going to shrink. And a couple of weeks later, it started shrinking. And I was gigging on it again by November. Yeah. I still have that bass. If I'm attached to anything, I'm attached to that. Yeah. But anything else, if it goes or comes on, 
You know, I just want to, I just want what I play. Yeah. I don't need a whole museum worth of guitars. You mean like me? <laughs> right. <laughs> you play every one of those. You play that, that Jackson Charvel. That's not a every, Jackson. That's a Hamer. That's a Sean, Neil Sean the, guitar. The chicken head stock guitar is not a Jackson? No, that's a Hamer. Wow. Oh, oh, I'm, the blue one? No, that's Neil Sean. Ah. That's one of the first 100. Uh, so Sean, it just wants to be a Jackson. Grover Jackson made that guitar. <laughs> okay, there you But go. he made the first 100 of those. No, you know what I told Amy one time when I was really, really, really writing, and we were writing 150 songs a year. Yeah. And I would come home, and she goes, you never play guitar anymore at home. And I go, I've kind of become a carpenter. She goes, what do you mean? I go, that guitar is a hammer. It's a tool. Right. I just, I, I try to write on a different guitar every day just to kind of turn something in my head. This guitar sounds different yeah. than that guitar, than that guitar, than that guitar. I totally guitar. get that. And so it, it's, but there, but it's. I, I, I guess I still have emotional. I mean, like whatever you know. I wrote two number ones on that number three guitar right yeah. there. So that guitar, Amy's got that in the will. You know, when I right, die, right. everything else goes. But <laughs> yeah. she's keeping that one. But, but I don't know, man. Guitars are. I, you know, sometimes I get all stupidly metaphysical about it, and it's like you know, this guitar has songs in it. That guitar doesn't Absolutely. have any songs. No, in I it. totally. And sometimes that's. I understand that. I understand that. And it, and it's all it's just all about how it makes you feel. Yeah. You know, how, yeah. It's all about how it's fulfilling what you're trying to get out of life. Yeah. And guitars just they and I can't speak intelligently about a bass, but guitar I mean all those acoustic guitars sound different. So sometimes yeah. you'll pick up this guitar and it just sounds different. Right. The way you play a D chord on it just sounds different yeah. than the way you do on that guitar. And so I don't think basses do to that degree, but I mean they all obviously have a little bit of difference. Oh but, yeah. But I I'm after what's the floods like 10, 11 years ago. Yeah. Finally I found a few things that I feel like are that that I'm are closer to me yeah. in my voice. Yeah. You know. There's nothing you just I'm you're never going into a gig without that bass. Without that bass. You may not even play it on that day, but you're taking it's it's gonna sure. be there. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. I found a, a friend of mine gave me a Hofner a couple years ago, um, that I always have with me, even if I'm not playing it, just because it I love how it sounds. Yeah. But it's only been there a couple years. I mean So do you play like I have a guitar upstairs by the TV. And I'll I'll play along with TV commercials and whatever. Yeah, and stuff. I do every and now and then. You do that? Yeah, I didn't for years. Really? Um, I didn't for years. But and and I will sit. I'll sit just with a bass in my lap. Yeah. With you know. But you're also way more way more of a working musician than I ever was. So I mean, I'm sure once you get home after doing three sessions in a day, yeah. The last thing you want to do is pick up a stinking bass right. or a guitar. With no drummer. <laughs> <laughs> you, with no band. Is that why you moved Greg Morrow into your house? <laughs> Greg! <laughs> yeah, he's just out in one of those portable sheds right. <laughs> for whenever I need him. <laughs> he's just in a trailer out back. Oh, my gosh. What do you want to do, my lightning round? Yeah, I don't even know about this. Well, you're gonna like okay. It. Bring it on. Wait, do I need? Let me sit up here. No, it's 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 easy. I'm just gonna ask you quick questions, and whatever comes off the top of your head, or if you want to expound. I mean, so okay. far I've loved your expounding. Okay. What's your favorite book? Hitman by Frederick Dannon. Nice. I read that. Are you a bath or a shower guy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a shower guy. All right. I'm not going to admit to being a bath guy if I I'm know, a bath dude, guy. Hey, you know what? What you do on the road is your business, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the last gift you gave someone? Uh, <clears throat> Hitman by Frederick Daniel. Well, there you go. <laughs> it worked out great. So, the sliding round is okay, the shit, are, are you, I like this. Then are you a bath or a shower? No, we already did that one. Uh, do you believe in Bigfoot? I believe that, yes, that there's probably something. Okay. I'm kind of agnostic Bigfoot guy. 
It depends. I mean, are there sessions involved? Because I really feel strongly both ways. <laughs> Bigfoot, coming over Bigfoot. Um, what was the first concert you saw? How old were you? And did you get a t-shirt? This is a tough question for me to answer because... There are it a couple, involves Bigfoot. There are a couple different <laughs> answers to this. Because I'm sure that the first concert I ever saw was probably the Statler Brothers. Right. Which Because the State Fair is in my hometown yeah. in West Virginia. Yeah. And they were there every year. Right. Um, and we love the Statler Brothers. Yes, we love the Statler Brothers. Um, I will say it's probably more likely that my first concert was uh, a combination of Dr. Hook and Little River Band. Nice. Who were also at the state fair okay. in West Virginia? Did you get a T-shirt? I did not. How old it was all think- I could do for with my parents. It was all I could do to get a ticket for the show. <laughs> I did not get a T-shirt, but I got a snow cone. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, how old do you think you were? Like eight, nine, ten, twelve, fourteen? Doctor Hook and Little River Band. That would have been uh, early eighties. You think? Okay. I was probably yeah. fourteen. Okay. What's the last movie you saw in a theater? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I don't know either. It, I don't know. Maybe okay. it, it might have been that Beatles Shea Stadium. That was a long time ago. In a theater? Yeah, at Belcourt. Okay. Awesome, uh, man. I just, and it was a long time ago, I can remember, because I made my whole family go. My kids were uh, not happy because, and they were bugging me the whole time, like, I've got homework to do. And I said, we're all watching this Beatles movie. And then after the actual movie, they replayed the entire Shea Stadium concert, and I made them all stay for that, too. Man. So it's a family memory. I also love that your kids wanted to go home and do homework. <laughs> yes, no. That <laughs> was not happening. I said, man, this is the Beatles. It's the Beatles. We're going to do this. Yes. If money was no object, what base would you buy? I would buy J. DeMarcus 59 Fender Precision Bass. Seriously? Yes. Okay, I have a question for you because I always... I'm always joking. Amy will go get the mail, the mailbox, post op, the mailbox. And I'll always say, is there a 59 Les Paul out there? No. So how much is a 59 P base worth versus, I mean, like 59 Les Pauls are 350 grand. It's not that. No, I mean, why, why is that? Why are they so much less? I mean, even Strat. Like, <laughs> because it's base. No, but <laughs> still, that's a 61 Strat. That's not yeah, worth it. You know, to me, it's worth that. Yeah. I mean, it's really literally is because, I don't know why. Rock McNally could tell you, like, <laughs> because this cult, Jimmy Page played this color. Right, right. I'm a total, total bass nerd, man. I care nothing about so, Sunburst Les Pauls. <laughs> <laughs> is that P-Bass? Is that uh, Rosewood, fretboard, mahogany? Yes, or, Rosewood. Okay. okay. Rosewood, and it's the, it's just the best. I think maybe it's the best P bass I've ever held in my really? hands. Yeah, I played it. A, really? I did a session in his house, and it was hanging on the wall. And all I could think was, how much does that get played? That needs to be played every day. Yeah. Um, because I could probably never talk him out of that. Maybe I could if I had, if money was no object. Yeah. Um, he may just let you borrow it from now mm, till whenever. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'd be happy if I could just go back and do a session yeah. again. Um, uh, but it would be some. It would probably be a '59. It would be something yeah. like that. It'd be a rosewood neck Fender P bass. Man, what's your uh, what's your favorite song you ever worked on? And mm. I know that's impossible because you've worked on. Yeah, a that's million. really tough. That's really tough, man. Um, oh man. It would be one of mine if you could remember I was gonna, any of the titles. I was going to say, I just, I remember it was in D. <laughs> I remember it was on a Monday morning. I remember but, it was uh, on Monday morning. All right, all right. It was at 16th Avenue Sound. <laughs> exactly, exactly, which I freaking love that place. If you were cremated, where would you want your ashes spread? I will be cremated, and, yeah, me too. and I want them to be spread in Greenbrier County, West Virginia. 
Wow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I told Amy I just want my ashes spread on the front row of an Iron Maiden concert. Because <laughs> they'll just, be hey, they'll be fine with that. They'll still be playing. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, What would you be doing if you weren't playing bass? What else do you love doing? That's it, right? That's it, yeah. man. That I'm, really is it. All All I've ever wanted really was to be yeah a musician and a dad. Yeah, really. And I got them both. Man, that's awesome. Dude. Yeah, I have no complaints, man. I'm really, I'm grateful. I know, I know what that means. Yeah, but I will say this: um, uh, it's just about, it's just about for me. It's just about what uh, being happy in life. Because if I get up tomorrow and you know raking leaves, it makes me feel like that. I'll see you in about two months. Yeah. Because it's bass is just that's the channel, that's the medium. Music yeah. is the medium. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. What do you listen to for fun when you're bouncing around the house and mom says, Go out and vacuum the you know, what do you mean? What are you listening to? Um I listen to a lot of R and B. I listen to a lot of uh uh it 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 kind of rotates. Yeah. A bunch of different stuff. But recently, because I was never a prog rock guy, okay, I've been listening to like Jethro Tull records, yeah, which are awesome, yeah. And I'll flirt, you know. I, it's like the more I'm, if I'm hanging around Book a lot, I'll go. Uh, he'll show me something cool about something, and then I'll dive into it, yeah. Uh, but that's not the kind of music I ever really got into, and I've been listening to a lot of that. Of course, with Book, it's gonna be quick. Top five prog rock albums. <laughs> right, top go, ever. Uh, uh, Aqualite. Okay, check this out. <laughs> Let's say you could actually play flute. Ian Anderson goes down in the middle of a gig. <laughs> um, so I've been listening to that. I listen to a lot of R&B. I, I have also been listening to a lot of um, older R&B, uh, like Northern, which I never got into. Like, we always heard all the Southern kind of sure, stuff. Sure, yeah. The, the stuff like... Um, that I always thought was kind of cheesy, like Duke of Earl and that stuff. Oh, okay. Man, if you dig into those tracks, they're amazing. That's what I was just going to say. At, at your level, which is way up here, can you still listen to uh, something that Carol Kay's playing Absolutely. or whoever and, yes. and still glean something from oh, that? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Man. It's, you, it, it never ends. What do you take from that? I mean, what can you learn from I that? Take, um, I take... Uh, That's fascinating. Choices... Uh, no music, choices. Yeah, musical choices, yeah, yeah. No choices, and a lot of times, like in Carol Kay's case, a lot of that stuff would have been written down, right? Uh, but still, whoever's choice—that's Brian Wilson's choices, yeah. or whatever. It's her execution of it. But uh, I, that's what I love. Yeah, this whole thing about playing a song and how a song <laughs> unfolds, man—it yeah. just never ends. It never ends. And how we got here from even the yeah. beginning of the song. Yes. It, it was only three yeah. minutes, but still, this is crazy. Yeah. And there, there's, there's, there's guys that are always for a guitar. I, go I ahead. got one for you, if I can interrupt you. Yes. Favorite songs. This, this has got to be, if you said favorite songs, yeah, I'm yeah, still, yeah. my brain is still rolling. Um, <laughs> uh, if I had to pick one, this is definitely in the top. Uh, I I did a version. I was in the studio one time. We were at Blackbird with Dolly Parton. Um, Pig is playing piano. Oh, Pig Robbins is playing piano. Lloyd Green is playing steel. Oh, my gosh. And I'm playing upright, which I don't usually do. I was going to say. And uh, she sang a version of Put It Off Until Tomorrow. That literally made my eyes water while we were playing it. Dude, that's making my the hair on my arms go. And out. and the track, her tracking vocal was what they used, and it was the closest that I ever felt like this is the real shit. This is exactly yeah. it's like a time machine right now. Mm. And um, that was such a beautiful moment that where I wasn't thinking about. Uh, song form or I'm in the studio doing this or whatever. I was completely lost in the moment. Do you ever get so lost that like 
you stop playing? Uh, I don't stop playing, but I might, you know, go to the bridge a little early. <laughs> I'm, I'm blaming on that. <laughs> we had Allison Krauss and, oh, shoot, her guitar player, the... Oh, dang it. They, they, they played at our church on Christmas. They did the offertory. And Her guitar player? Yeah. The this the short Ron. Ron. Yeah. And they played the offertory for the Christmas service. And I just had tears running down my face. And I just told yeah. they, I told Amy, I go, that's what an angel sounds like. That's absolutely. And that's like what you were just saying. Yeah, man. That's 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 what, the most beautiful thing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like you're you're touching this this ethereal you know, yeah. this nebulous thing that we're all we're trying to get it you've made a connection yeah and it'll that and that feeling never leaves no hmm. but what's next for you man what haven't what question haven't I asked you um and I should have pushed record about an hour ago <laughs> no, I, I man I, I don't know oh you know what I've got um I'm really looking forward to uh, doing a weekend. In September at Telluride, which I've never been to Telluride oh, cool. before. And I'm going to do a weekend with um, Anders Osborne. Oh, yeah. And it's just going to be a trio. It's going to be me and Anders and uh, Jack nice. Cromwell. Oh, cool, man. I've and, seen Chad um, forever. So that's coming up that I'm looking forward to. That'll be fun. And, you know, beyond the next two weeks, it's uh, my calendar looks like your calendar. <laughs> uh no, yours has more stuff in it than mine does. <laughs> well, where can people find you? Where can people buy your book? <laughs> what, what, what are your socials and stuff? You can find me on Instagram at MacB15. Nice. M-A-C-K-B-1-5. Nice. That's that's the best place. That's where I found you. And you know, other than that, you could probably find me at... Um, Starbucks. Ty Usain <laughs> yeah. or... <laughs> Mojo Grill <laughs> from one to two. Well, dude, man, I love you, man. I'm so thankful you came out here to love do you, this. Bar. It's so great to be so out here, So much man. fun to catch up. Welcome back to the neighborhood. Thank you. All right. I'll see you soon. See you.